0: so here we are the end of season five of future you when we take our customary summer break this has been a season of many highlights as well as some firsts in our podcast it's also been a year that as we come out of the pandemic albeit slowly higher ed is starting to think about how to navigate what's next No doubt, Michael. This year, as we
1: recorded our 100th episode, visited three campuses to record the podcast in front of an audience in real life, I think we both come to realize that the future remains more ambiguous than ever for much of higher ed. The sector as a whole is grappling with the end of the federal stimulus dollars, as well as how they support the post pandemic student and how they think about their own workforces. Also, they're thinking about what level of flexibility and personalization they can really provide. And can they do that well? We'll be talking about those issues as well as providing a few updates on this episode of Future You.
2: This episode of Future You is brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and by Salesforce.org. Subscribe to Future You wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at the handle Future You Podcast. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating so others can discover the conversations we're having about higher education.
1: I'm Michael Horn. And I'm Jeff Salingo.
0: Jeff, I'm feeling what I suspect many of our listeners who work in higher ed feel when the end of another academic year sort of sneaks up on them without warning. For us, the end of another season of Future U has done the same. This episode, though, gives us a chance to catch our collective breath and catch up with each other. We get to reflect on the last year, offer a prediction for what's next, and then I know you have a question about the wicked problems facing higher ed and the big fix, if you will.
1: Yeah, that's right, Michael. But first, before we jump into this episode, for our regular listeners, I think
0: probably some updates from previous guests and topics on the show might be in order. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea, Jeff. So first up are uh, Judy Sakaki and Michael Baston. We had Sakaki, the uh, president of Sonoma State in the Cal State system on last season, and she's announced that she's stepping down amid a growing sexual harassment scandal involving her husband from whom she's now separated uh, that led to a no confidence vote among faculty on campus, Jeff. Michael, we also had a job change with Michael Baston,
1: who was on last season as president of Rockland Community College in New York. He's moving on to become president of Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland this
0: summer. So congratulations to Michael. And then from this season, another one of our firsts, we had these Higher Ed 101 episodes. And of course, we did one focused on OPMs or online program managers with Phil Hill. He mentioned in that episode about an expected report to Congress from the GAO on OPMs, and that report has been released, so we'll add it to the show notes. I think the headline was that the GAO essentially suggested more robust monitoring of OPMs through their audits so that they don't run afoul of federal laws governing student aid. But otherwise, Jeff, there wasn't much smoke there. No scandals or findings of OPMs doing questionable things.
1: And and finally, we had Jeff Sinise, president of St. Leo University in Florida, on this season to talk about its expected acquisition of Marymount, California University and the idea of a national network of Catholic colleges. On that episode, Sinise mentioned what he called the crazy process compared to the rest of the country, that its accreditor, Sachs, had to approve what he called an acquisition. But he was careful to say Sachs called a merger consolidation. Well, it turns out that the accreditor's process indeed was an obstacle, and the merger plan with Marymount California University was scrapped because of complications in getting approval from the accreditor Sachs in this case. A few days later when that happened, without anyone to take on Marymount's debt of around $3.7 million, the trustees of that university decided to close its doors this summer. And so that's it for the major updates, Michael. Any reflections you have on the past year and what might that might portend for the year ahead?
0: Sure, Jeff. I, so just a quick reflection coming out of our campus tour episodes is how different campuses are thinking about hybrid learning, which, of course, has been a hot topic in higher ed Uh, You have on the one hand, I would say the excited campus in Northeastern to the highly skeptical in Georgia Tech and Emory to the let's keep an eye on it, but I'm not so sure it's a good idea in UCLA. So it's it's interesting just to see the range on hybrid learning, even coming out of our episodes in terms of what might be coming in the year ahead and predictions. I won't center it on colleges closing or merging, because you know, I think my past prediction around consolidation remains intact, especially once federal funding dries up. But I want to go in a related direction, Jeff, which is: look, the economy seems like it might be slowing down right now. There are big fears around a recession and a 1970s-style stagflation. Traditionally, a recession, Jeff, means a rebound in student enrollment. So It's possible that community colleges will dig out of their dramatic declines over the last few years. But my prediction is that I don't think we're going to see a big rebound in enrollment across the higher ed sector because sticker prices, I think, will rise also thanks to the inflation that we see in the economy right now. And given that the high cost of many colleges even before those increases uh, has turned so many away from college recently. I think those further tuition hikes will scare off many more students. And so, you know, look, the demographic decline is just around the corner. But this is where my prediction nets out is that, yes, there's a recession potentially in the offing, but the decline in enrollment, it may stabilize some, but I don't think it's going to rebound, Jeff. What about you? Reflections, predictions? Well, Michael, I think a a
1: reflection is really on both the leadership challenges facing higher ed now, but also the talent needs in colleges and, and universities. And ever since we were with Gene Block, the chancellor of UCLA on the second stop of our tour, I've been quoting him left and right around this idea of it used to be that people wanted to work for colleges and universities. They believed in its mission, uh, especially for staff, which really run these city-like campuses. It was a good place to work, good benefits, and and they maybe got some benefits for their kids to go there. But there was a sense of pride in in mission. And and he was pretty clear that that's not necessarily the case anymore, particularly in an economy like California, where universities can't necessarily keep up with the private sector, and where you have to actually go into a campus-based place to go to work, where at many other employers, you can actually work from home. And that's becoming increasingly difficult for most universities to compete with because they need their people on campuses. And I think this is really interesting because almost anything that we're talking about in terms of the future of higher education requires talent and staff. And if, if colleges and universities are going to have trouble hiring people because they can't pay for them, uh, they can't afford them, or because they can't offer the workforce benefits that they used to be able to offer, including uh, working the idea of working from home, I think that's really going to slow down, in some cases, innovation in, in higher ed. And so it's it's one thing that I, I keep reflecting on that, that Gene Block told us. In terms of a prediction, one thing I'm watching closely is the end of the government stimulus dollars from the pandemic going to higher ed. Uh, We recently had a report come out from S&P Global Ratings, and they said that the median college received more than $13 million in government relief funding over the course of the pandemic. And that accounted for just over 4% of adjusted operating revenue at more than 30% of colleges in, in fiscal 2021. And that that really covers just the rated institutions. So remember, those tend to be the better institutions uh, in the the US. And what's really going to happen now is we're going to start to see the end of the stimulus funding coming here in the summer, this summer. And that's really going to open up a lot of colleges and universities, especially given in growing inflation, the possibility of a recession, into serious financial problems in some cases. And so sure, there might be closers and consolidations. Um, but I'm hopeful that this actually might force some people to kind of rethink their their business models. Uh, so we might see, for example, more public-private partnerships around health and student services, uh, and those things that are not core businesses of higher ed. Because again, I think these very tight budgets are going to force universities and colleges to think differently. I think we're going to start to see uh, deeper academic partnerships, and perhaps finally new markets of students, in other words, that they're going to look for new markets of students, particularly around the adult students. I think that too many colleges used the federal stimulus money to put a hole in their leaking dike. Uh, that that largely those financial problems that were well aware that they were well aware of even before the pandemic. But what I'm hopeful now is that with the end of that federal stimulus dollars, it's really going to force colleges and universities because they're not going to be able to lean on traditional enrollment. They're not going to be able to lean on their traditional business models. Hopefully, they will start to force them to think differently. Because otherwise, I think then we will see some closures and consolidations, like we saw in California after uh, the Jeff Sinise uh, and St. Leo deal uh, died. So that's my um, my prediction uh, for the for the coming year. So, Michael, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to focus on some of the big fixes for some of higher ed's naughtiest problems. When we come back on
2: Future You. Support for this podcast is provided by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is committed to preserving and expanding educational opportunity for today's students, now more than ever. Learn more at postsecondary.gatesfoundation.org. This episode is also supported by salesforce.org. Salesforce.org is proud to partner with institutions like yours to build a better future for all, we believe creating a technology-enabled, personalized, and continuous experience throughout the learner life cycle is so critical to driving student and institution success from anywhere. Learn more at salesforce.org slash ed.
1: Welcome back to the finale of season five for Future You. Michael, back in May, I was at the Milken Global Institute Conference in LA and at a dinner one night where I sat next to Tom Kalile, the the chief innovation officer at Schmidt Futures. And, And prior to Schmidt Futures, Tom served in the White House for Obama and Clinton, helping to design and launch national science and technology initiatives. And during dinner, he asked me a really interesting question that I wanted to bring to us here on Future You. And here was what he asked. He said, what one thing, one, one, and he was very clear on the one thing, uh, would you do to fix higher ed? And then more importantly, how would you do it? Because one of the things he told me is that when he was at the White House, plenty of people came into the Oval Office to ask for a fix or to suggest a fix. But then they were never able to articulate how to do it. You know, would you do it through legislation? Would you do it f- through funding from a foundation? Obviously, in the federal government, you had a lot more levers that you could pull, but they but they would never then be able to give a specific suggestion about how to do it. So I wanted to bring that question to us here on Future You. What's the one thing you would do to fix higher ed? And then how would you do it?
0: Uh, Such a good question, Jeff. It's a tough one, though, because I think it obviously depends on how one defines what's quote unquote wrong with higher ed. Like, you know, what is the problem? And with anything that's hard, uh, because A, you know, everyone says spend 90% of the time or whatever the saying goes on defining the problem, and then the solution falls out. But, But second, higher ed, as we've discussed many times, is really a varied set of very different kinds of institutions with very different challenges. so so I, I think it is difficult. And I'll say my my head goes a couple places, but then I'll give you my my ultimate one. You know, w- one could be that state governors, for example, start hiring based on skills and not degrees that would force the higher ed market to much more rapidly, I think, take seriously uh, skills-based uh, learning and, and, and looking at what do they produce in students. I think that's one avenue. Uh, a second one, I'll harken back to the problem you just laid out before, you know, with the federal financial uh, uh, relief, uh, the stimulus dollars drying up. I mean, I still can't believe the statistic you said, that the emergency government funding accounted for over 4% of adjusted operating revenue at more than 30% of colleges in the, in fiscal 21. Just for our listeners, frankly, if you have a surplus of like 2 to 3%, you're doing pretty well in higher ed. So for 4% to disappear... Wow, I I don't even know what the solution would be, but that's a problem. Uh, and then the the one I guess I, I'll focus on is I think a big problem is what we've talked a lot about on this podcast this particular year, which is value in higher education for students. You know, the outcomes relative to what's expended in resources and time and money. And so my big fix, Jeff, would be to reboot the quality assurance system entirely decouple accreditation from financial aid, focus on student outcomes for student aid so that institutions that offer a poor uh, return on investment struggle to get federal dollars, uh, allow new entrants to come in, create more disruptive competition. So I think, Jeff, that would be a policy and a regulatory fix, uh, which probably means that it relies on Congress, you know, doing something. Uh, So maybe we can't rely on that. Uh, But I do think there are a bunch of steps the Department of Education could take in the interim on the regulatory front, like, for example, allowing in new accreditors uh, that might allow some new entrance uh, into the higher ed landscape. And there is some noise uh, brewing on that front that could be interesting and worth watching uh, over the next year or two. Jeff, what, what about you? What's the big fix? I'm curious what you said.
2: Yeah,
1: so I want to uh, focus on, well, first of all, I didn't say anything to Tom that night because I had to think about it. Because if I have one shot to suggest something, uh, I want to make sure it's the right one. Uh, but as I've been thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's really around teaching and, and learning. Because I think scale is the mi- is on the mind of everyone. We, we've heard that recently in our 100th episode, just the growing number of learners. Um, and so we also heard Gene Block talk about teaching at UCLA and how special it is, or you know, he was also referencing kind of the model of a Swarthmore, or we heard Rick Levin, uh, the former president of Yale, of course, on this season talk about the same thing when we were discussing about growing highly selective colleges and universities. I think we all know that's not really going to happen to the to the scale that we need because the way that these institutions are designed and how good. Um, and I think maybe good in quotes, uh, teaching and learning is at these places. But I think for the most part, we know they are, right? You have these transformative learning experiences at these highly selective institutions. So how can we scale that and sustain that transformative learning for everyone? Why shouldn't everyone have access to quality teaching and learning? So I think that's the big problem to solve. So how do we do it? To me, we just have to put effort and money behind it, right? In much the same way we do with you know, the cancer moonshot, or we put money behind the space race. I, I'm serious. I think we have to put really serious money and the bully pulpit from the federal government to say that everyone deserves high quality teaching and learning and transformative learning and I think it has to come from the federal government. I think it has to come from a coalition of foundations who can put real money together to provide incentives to faculty members to do as much research and dissemination as they do about their own disciplines in teaching and learning. You know, we all know that there's a lot of good research to be done, there's a lot of good research that has been done on teaching and learning, and it needs to be disseminated, but we just don't put it on the same pedestal in higher ed as we do almost every other discipline, and, and there's no reason that it shouldn't be, and there's no reason that everyone doesn't deserve high quality teaching and learning and transformative learning experiences, much like the way Gene Block talked about UCLA or Rick Levin talked about uh, Yale. So Michael, we, we've come to a, to the end of another season of Future U, I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into our sixth season this fall when we're going to be back on the road again with the Future U campus tour. We're going to be stopping in, at Bowie State in Maryland. But in the meantime, I think we have three of the greatest months in the English language in front of us, uh,
0: June, July, and August. So what are you looking forward to uh, this summer? Uh, Jeff, I I have a new book, as you know, coming out on July 13th titled From Reopen to Reinvent. So if you're interested in K-12 schools and what their big fixes ought to be coming out of so much devastation over the past couple years, grab a copy on Amazon or at your local bookstore, of course. But uh, with that shameless plug over, I guess I'm not sure how relaxing my summer will be given travel (laughs) around the book and that I'm already working on my next book after that. I'm not quite ready to talk about it, but we'll do soon. But Uh, In the interim, I'm excited to be with a lot of educators in different parts of the country talking about from reopen to reinvent. And, uh, you know, personally, we've got a bunch of trips planned in the Northeast, which should be great opportunities to unplug, Jeff. Uh, What about you? Any big summer plans? Well, Michael, I I can't wait to
1: dig into uh, reopen to reinvent. We're definitely going to do a show on that next season. So something to look forward to for all of our listeners. We're going to be traveling with the family a little bit, making up for some Two years of not traveling very much uh, with with COVID. Uh, the kids are going to a sleepaway camp for the first time uh, this year, uh, so I'm really excited to have two weeks off uh, from uh, a little break from the the rest of the family uh, for my wife and I. Uh, my oldest is going to seventh grade at a new school, so there will be a little help transitioning her. Or- uh, to that that big change, but most of all, I, I just want to take it easy. As some of our listeners know, uh, because I missed uh, the Future U campus tour in Atlanta, I, un, I I finally got COVID after avoiding it for for two and a half years. I, I got it uh, right around the time we were supposed to be in Atlanta uh, for the Future U campus tour. So I'm I'm really looking forward to just resting up uh, this summer and 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 taking it a little bit easier. Uh, and I guess the big work pr- project is, is, speaking of books, is finishing up my next book proposal. i um, not ready to talk about it yet because I don't want to jinx it and, and not quite exactly sure where it's going. But I definitely have a lot of time this summer to, to be thinking about it. And always, by the way, looking for ideas from our listeners. So if you have ideas that, of books you think should be written, uh, please reach out. Oh, and one other thing, Michael, that dog you hear in the background, Quincy, uh, I'll be taking care of him as well this summer.
0: Well, I'm going to hold you to account for that, Jeff. I can't wait to hear more about it in the fall. Uh, But until then, to all of our loyal listeners, thank you for another great season. Uh, The questions engagement has been just terrific and pushed both Jeff and I. And of course, please tell your friends about the podcast because summer is a good time to catch up on all our shows. And of course, rate us wherever you listen to your podcast so that others can learn about the show. We have a new feedback button on our website as well to suggest... Uh, guests or ask questions for us to discuss an air. So check that out as well. And then until we see in September, have a great and healthy summer.